Welcome. To let's start with let's talk about Jesus, a five-week series designed to help us all understand the basics of the most influential and the most interesting man in the world. Today we are asking, what did Jesus teach? In Mark's gospel, we read about an occasion when a religious leader asked Jesus about the greatest command we should live by. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is not other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Mark 12, 28 to 34. Um, uh, can we try that one more time? Okay, good morning. Yeah, it, uh, and last week my mic wasn't on. Are we on today? Is that coming through? All right. For those of you that are online, wave if you can't hear me. Um, but it is a joy to be back together with you guys. And I want to just say that, did you see what Jesus just did there in Mark 12? Um, we are trying to figure out the best ways to um, just... Let us get present in this room because there's so much that we're discovering, we're relearning, we're getting comfortable. Some of you, this is your first time with us. Others of you, um, you uh, have been around um, for a number of years. But the, the issue is, is that there's a real enemy in the world that doesn't want the church to really become the people of God. And I believe that we, together, through the power of the Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead, can truly be in His kingdom in such a way that it is really good news for the people around us. And so we're in this series, um, Let's Start With Jesus, and we are um, today going to be dealing with the question, what did Jesus teach? But let me come back to this Mark 12, just as we try to ease into this. Um, Jesus took a love for God and a love for neighbor, and he bonded them together for the first time in Israel's history. And I believe that that bonding moment has been changing the world ever since. The issue is, is that so many times we in this room um, 
live in the world and we experience all the brokenness of it and we don't think Jesus has made much of a difference. But there are places that we can look and begin to see that God, through Christ, through his teachings, is doing something incredible. So when we begin to investigate Jesus, now let me remind us, this series is really designed for those that don't yet believe. And then a blessing of the series is that those that do believe can become more confident in talking to people in your life that don't believe. So I don't want you to zone out if I'm sharing information that you already know or that you already believe. Because I don't necessarily, well, let me rephrase this. I need to continue to improve my ability to communicate, but I also need to empower you to open up. Because as we learned last week, there's only two ways that God has been telling his love story since the creation of us. And that has been through his people and through his divine book, We call it the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Jews called it their scriptures. They called it Torah. We've now gotten New Testament letters from early writers. Over 40 different writers have been divinely involved in a special book that you and I have to become really good stewards with. Not just pastors and bishops and elders, but we, the people of God, have been entrusted with this good news. And so I want this to be a a place where we together can get better at talking about it. But then I also want to feel like for a moment, those of you that haven't placed your trust in Jesus, feel like that I care about you. Because so much of our gatherings like this can always feel about those that in your mind might be, well, those people are already religious and they're just having a pep rally in the name of Jesus. But I really want you to consider and measure your decision to follow Jesus like I did uh, many years ago. I believe that God in Jesus, in this particular passage in Mark, did something that is miraculous. It's our expression of loving God mixed with our expression with loving others that actually helps us to grow in our faith the best. So for those of you that only focus on loving God, you're limiting your ability to grow in your faith if you are not currently practicing loving other people. I've had people in my ministry years or even when I have been identified as a pastor in local establishments around my home where people are like, God and I are good. Let me just tell you this. You can't be just good with God if you're not good with the people around you. This is what Jesus is beginning to teach. This is profound teaching. And I want to make a case for that. So I believe this is life-changing. So let me give you a slide that has what I believe is a way to come into this, especially if you're considering your belief in Jesus. When we investigate Jesus, we, could, we should consider his miracles. Because even secularists, people that don't approach Jesus as a god, they will at least say, yes, there is a lot of evidence in the first century that Jesus performed miracles, which is a powerful thing. And so the first miracle that Jesus did was turn water into wine. Now, living in Baltimore, that should have gotten some kind of response. Because I know that there are a lot of you in here that enjoy a good wine. And his first miracle was making sure that the wedding was amazing. And many people that read this parable miss the fact 
that he took the jars that were for religious washing to be pure enough to be at the wedding and turned them into the joy of the wedding. So, am, am I not explaining that very well? Is the mask keeping you from expressing yourself? The answer is yes. I understand that. But here's the thing, is that his first miracle was all about bringing joy to people and filling a need that was a celebration. And it was said that he made a really good wine. Like, it wasn't a bad bottle. Like, he made a really good wine. And the best miracle that he did was that he resurrected himself from the dead. Top that. I mean, his best and most powerful miracle was that God in flesh. However, the Trinity works, because in the Gospels, there's really not a word for the Trinity. But it's obvious that Jesus had a relationship with the Father. There's obvious that Jesus had a relationship with the Son. It's obvious that Jesus himself was Emmanuel, God with us. And somehow they were God. But the miracle upon all miracles is that Jesus was dead, and then he became alive. That's a pretty amazing miracle. But the thing that I think is the most testable miracle that you can figure out, because we weren't there for the resurrection. There's not a person in this room, unless you're immortal, which I do not believe any of you are immortal, that were around when Jesus resurrected from the dead. So we are sharing that based upon the testimony of the church. We weren't there at the wedding to experience the wine. But yet we are banking on the fact that the people that were there and the writers of the Gospels that included it were telling us the truth and there's faith in us to do this. But if you want to test the miracle yourself, the best place for you to test miracles is in Jesus' teachings. Because what you'll find is that Jesus' teachings bear the marks of miraculous It's almost as if Jesus understands the world so much that his teachings about us, the the sociological problems we have, the emotional problems we have, the relational problems that we go through, the decisions that we're making about life and all the things. It is like as if Jesus's teachings fit into the problems of the world like a hand in a glove. Or if you're a more engineering mindset, It's almost like as if Jesus wrote the manual to our lives. And so when you test his teachings, what ends up happening for you and I is that we begin to sense that, oh my goodness, there is something powerful in these words. And for those of you that don't believe, my challenge to us through this series is, is could you at least dedicate some time to test it? Don't just say, I don't want to put any effort in. Because we know life enough that if you don't put effort into something, you're going to get nothing out of it. And so Jesus loves us so much that he wants us to walk with him a little ways. And that's why last week when we um, ended the teaching and we were talking about the people of God and the book of God, the Bible, we ended with John chapter 7 where Jesus said this. He says, my teaching is not my own. He says, it comes from the one who sent me. And anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out. Listen, testable miracle. If you choose to do what Jesus has said to do, 
you will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And I say that is true. I've experienced that. There's been places where I have struggled to to grow in my faith and I've put Jesus' practices into place and then I've tried it my own way and I have had two drastically different outcomes. Even at the end of the Torah, there's a book called Deuteronomy and Moses was writing to the children of Israel and he says, God loves you so much he puts two paths in front of you. He puts his teaching, his word in front of you and you can follow that. Or you can go down the path of what I call the school of hard knocks. And he told the children of Israel, you will find the same truth out at the end of both roads. There's enough pain in this world. Why would we want to go through more pain to figure out the truth? And so this comes back to my local establishments where I live. There are a lot of walkable restaurants. Okay, let's be honest, they're bars. (laughs) there's very few restaurants in Baltimore, right? They're all around the alcohol scene. And so there are several places that my wife and I go to regularly to build relationships with locals, to build relationships with the wait staff and the owners. And we go in, they call us by name, and and we're experiencing things with people around us. And there have been times on numerous occasions where my occupation is now known. People will sometimes sit down at the table with us. So Ginger and I have learned that we can't go on a date near our house because we never have personal time. It's always a counseling session with a local. Um, And so we have to now leave our neighborhood to have a date. But the joy is, is that I get to sit down with people and they tell me why they don't believe. They tell me about about the people of God and how they've been hurt. Um, they, they tell me about the, 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 the Bible and how, they just have, they, how they've been hurt by it. Or they talk about pastors. Like, they're like, Ellis, okay, you're cool and all. Like, like they can't say something bad about a pastor without building me up first. But they talk about men like me that have abused their position and authority in the church. And they start to share their disbelief. But most of the time, the stories aren't about the ways they've been hurt by the church. It's not normally about the ways they've been hurt personally by pastors because they're generally here saying those stories. You understand what I'm saying when I say that? That's not their personal story. They just know of stories of people. Their number one reason is, man, Ellis, in order to do that, um, I have to give up a lot. Let me give you a, a great example. There was one time I was actually in one of the establishments without Ginger, and a male waiter, that server that knew me, was talking to me about why Ginger wasn't with me, and which brought up, well, how long have you guys been married? And at the time, it was right that 25 years, and, and um, he was like, wow, that's a lot of time. He goes, do you ever miss the other women? I mean, that, that's, that's the deal. Like, a lot of guys struggle to want to get into marriage because they got to give up their harem, right? Or like all the ladies that are willing to have them. And guys have to choose to say, you are my love. You are where I experience everything physical. And he was looking at me like, dude, man, I'm too young to give up all this. And, this, and, and you know what came to my mind? is I'm like, you don't know what you haven't discovered yet. And it brought me to Matthew's gospel in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, 44, this is what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, 
When a man found it, he hid it again. And listen to this. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. What this waiter did not understand was that when I sold everything I had to follow Christ and express that in my marriage, I didn't do that with, oh man, I, I got to get married is what you do. You're going to have, you know, you want to have kids that have a, a halfway good chance of making it in the world. You got to stay faithful to your wife and not screw them up in the head. I mean, I didn't go into marriage like, oh man, this is just what you do and I got to give up all this stuff. No, man, I put a ring on her finger with joy and then I put into practice what I thought Jesus had been teaching me. And can I just tell you this? There's a joy in giving up that is beyond our wildest imaginations until you give it up and begin to experience it. And there's so many people in our lives that they don't know the joy of giving it up. Many of us in this room are even struggling with the joy of giving it up. And so therefore, there's necessity for teaching like this because I believe that this man found a treasure he could not afford. This is what the scripture says. He picked up the treasure and he knew he couldn't afford the treasure. So he hid it and then went and bought, sold everything he had so he could buy the land around it so he could go back and get it again because he could afford the land, but he could not afford the treasure. Here's the thing. I believe we can afford to make the decision, but we can't afford the benefits of the decision. All right, listen to me. We can afford to make the decision but we can't afford the benefits of the decision. And let me make a case for this because I believe this is Jesus's invitation to those of you that yet don't believe. And I also believe this is a good reminder for those of us that do believe because the temptation is, is to sell everything we have, buy the field, and then go back and buy what we sold. It's like we go back and look for it again. And that's the constant temptation. We've got to be really careful because when we do that, the people that we want to go all in with Jesus are like, well, you kind of went in and then you came back out. Like, and we're sending a, a bad message because we're the people of God to be a display of him in this world. Imagine Aida trying to translate this sermon earlier today um, when at our Patterson location. Um, you guys need to buy her a gift um, uh, and send it to her. Uh, I can give you an address, send her gift cards, she was talking so fast in Spanish today. It was fantastic. Um, but Jesus comes to do more than just teach. Jesus came to announce something. He was announcing something about a kingdom and a king and grace and love and forgiveness. And in that announcement we actually have come up with a name for it. Do you realize that all the teachings of Jesus have now been named? Like, there's never been a person that I know of that taught such powerful words that people named his teaching. We call it the gospel, the good news. So how many other people do you know that their teachings have been labeled, that they've been so powerful? And so... Albert made this slide for us because to me, this slide, and it's in your notes. I just want you guys to know if you haven't downloaded our app, there is easily another hour's worth of teaching in our app because I had to cut so much, but we will be getting to it in our next series. 
but I can't support all my points as thoroughly as I want to because it would take about three years. That's how long Jesus walked, right, and taught, and so, and we experienced, and so I outline that in our notes, and I'm highlighting it all, but I can't do the work for you. If you want to believe, if you are, like, tempted to go out of your faith, you have to put in the work, and, and, I, and I tried to map that out for you. It's in there for you. And so, look at this. Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so that we can share in God's life. Did you catch the end of the verses that Lana was reading to you at the end of Mark 12? Jesus basically told us, you are so near and you realize that there is no more need for the sacrificial system. Now, we're going to talk in a few minutes, or in a couple of days, excuse me, in another week, about why Jesus died. And there's a lot to do with that. Because this last point made a lot of people mad. But Jesus knew that we were crippled by our religious activity. And so, there are four major aspects of this that I want to talk about briefly. A love, we are made by love for love, for God is love. That sounds redundant, but I want you guys to to listen to this because we are made by love. Love is capital L, which means it's a name. And John, who spent three years with Jesus, witnessed all of his teaching and his experiences, as well as his parables and in moments that we in his book, he said there were so many things I couldn't write about because it would be too much for the libraries. Like, so there's so much John experienced, and he summarized God in one word. He said, God is love. And then we find in Jesus' teaching, Jesus acknowledges that he was sent by a God of love to be the God of love, to show love so that you and I would know how to love God and love other people. But too often, that's not what we experience when we get together with God's people. And so there's in the notes, I broke it down for us in a couple of ways, and you won't be able to see it on the screen, but it is in the app for you. But I I characterized it because Jesus taught about love. He talked about it in John 12, John 14, John 1. He talked about it in, in John, like when John was writing about it in his letter. Mark talked about it in Mark 12. Um, uh, Matthew talked about it in Matthew 6 and Matthew 22 and Matthew 25. And so I could go on and on and on and on and on with all the places. So I list out these places where the teachings of Jesus talk about this love story. But I also go back and I talk and I share at least two parables. Now, parables were stories. We call them parables because they're, they're, they're beautiful. Like, it's artistic. There's characters. There's plot. There's, it's almost like a, a, a short film. And if Jesus had a, a $100 million budget, his parables would be better than the Marvel series. Like, that's how powerful in the character development and the beauty of his parables. But they're short. They're powerful stories. And when you talk about love, there's two great parables that are recorded in Luke's gospel, the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to spend time on that in, in no, October and November, but I just want to remind us about that is a good place to go to see the story of God. But then I also give examples of love. There's two great examples in John 
where Jesus washes his followers' feet, and then he gives life by forgiving the people that killed him. Two great examples of what a life of love looks like. So you're not only getting the miraculous teaching, you're getting to see beautiful poetic stories, but then you're also getting a chance to see and experience how Jesus actually did it himself. Because nothing's worse than having a good teacher that is good in words but doesn't live up to their teaching. Jesus is like, I'll teach it, I'll show you. I'll teach it, I'll show you. And by the way, when I teach it, you're going to feel the miraculous power of God. Like it's not from me, it's from our King and our Lord. And so love, we are made by love and for love, for God is love. Um, Yeah, let me just read this to you from John 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Bruxy Cavey is a pastor in, in Canada, and out of his book, The End of Religion, I have a couple of quotes I want to share with you throughout this teaching. And the first one is this, on love. Jesus shows us what God is like through teaching, story, and example, and that is pure love. If God is love, then there is nothing we can do to not be loved. I just want you guys to let that rest on you. And we love God back by loving others. I feel like that's just a beautiful summary of the teachings and the miraculous stories and the experience that Jesus did. So the second is forgiveness. So we talked about love in that graph. Now we're moving over to forgiveness. And forgiveness is, freedom is found through letting go of judgment. Could this not be a healing balm for our world? I mean, when you begin to look at the scriptures and the teachings that are outlined in your notes for you, the teaching sections about do not judge, about forgiving other people, and then looking at the Lord's Prayer where he taught them how to pray for forgiveness and to give forgiveness and how connected that is to our relationship with him and to other people. We live in a world that is desperate for people to learn how to forgive and to reconcile themselves to one another. We continue to attack one another, whether it's verbally or physically, and we wonder why we're not making advancements in so many places. And Jesus shares parables about forgiveness, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, the parable, again, of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And I love the way that Pastor Bruxy shares this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is our God-given medicine for the sin-sick world. Listen to that. Forgiveness is our God-given medicine for the sin-sick world. He goes on to say this, Forgiveness is God's power tool for building back up our broken-down world. And forgiveness is freeing, foundational, and formational. We are called to be forgiven forgivers. Let that tongue twister stay on you just for a moment. Through the spiritual practice of receiving and giving forgiveness, current relationships are kept healthy and broken relationships are offered the hope of reconciliation and restoration. This past Friday, I had a chance to talk to a lady who's the manager of a parking garage near Johns Hopkins Hospital. 
Many of you that work in the area probably would know her. You see her. She wears her purple uniform every day, and she manages this parking garage. And she, I was happened to be with her for a moment, and she found out that I was a pastor. And she goes, oh, man, God answered my prayer because my entire lunch was a prayer to God, and now I, I believe God saw me. But she had just been falsely accused by her daughter and granddaughter of, of lying, and she was broken, and she was in tears over it. And in the midst of her brokenness and in the midst of her tears, she looked at her own kids and said, I love God, I love Jesus, I love the Holy Spirit more than I love you. And so I let her share her grief, and I let her share what she had shared with her children and grandchildren. And then she says, Pastor, is there a word that you have for me? And I said, you need to go back to your kids and tell them you're sorry. Tell them that you love them as much as you love God in heaven. Because I said, didn't Jesus teach his disciples to pray our Father who is in heaven? And if he is our Father who is in heaven, then that makes us his sons and daughters. And then we can't say, Dad, I love you, but I don't love my brothers and sisters. And she, with tears in her eyes, said, Pastor, thank you. And she, I hope, went home. Even if her kids kept an unforgiving and hateful spirit, they just needed their mom to say to them and their grandmother to say to them, I love you as much as anybody else, including my Father in heaven and my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of the living God. Because we can't delineate the two. All right, that's... Uh, that wasn't in my notes. So the, set, the third thing, the kingdom. Jesus taught about the kingdom. The, the heaven begins here and now. And if we have faith, we can begin to live in it now. I think this is so important because so many people think that Jesus came only to bring salvation so that eventually we can live in bliss in heaven forever. That is not what Jesus taught. I leave several places in scriptures in the gospels that are wonderful opportunities for you to go learn about what Jesus thought about the kingdom and who's the king of the kingdom and who has power and control in that kingdom. And you might be surprised at how much God wants you and I to be obedient members of his kingdom. He talks about the announcement of the kingdom in Mark 1, in Matthew 4, Luke 4, Luke 17, John 18, so many places. But then he talks about it in parabolic form, in this story form, where he talks about it as a mustard seed and as yeast in bread. And if you take time to consider those two parables and just marinate on that, let it rest in you, give it some time, I promise that there will be some things that you will begin to see that Jesus' miraculous teaching about the kingdom is good for us today. Um, Pastor Bruxy actually says this, and I think it's so true. Eternity starts now. The kingdom of heaven on earth is our opportunity to live in, excuse me, to live in line with the will and the way of God today. If you want to live in an eternity of peace, love, and joy, then start living the life of peace, love, and joy right here and right now. Jesus is king in this kingdom, and he will show us the way. This ties together what we taught last week. It ties together what we taught the first week about kingdom. And if you missed those teachings, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. Because if this particular kingdom life is true, then you can't be a king of a kingdom and not have a people. Like, we've got to be the people of God, saying, if you truly are worthy to be our king and our Lord, then I must give my life to your will and to your ways. 
I can't have my will in my ways in your kingdom. That's not how kingdoms work. And grace. Jesus never uses the word grace. The early church, when they were looking back on Jesus' teachings and they were reflecting on his parables, they had to come up with a word to describe it when they taught it. And that's when the word grace got introduced in the scriptures. It's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's actually in the letters that were written in reflection on the life of Jesus. But there is so much about grace that it necessitated the early church to come up with a word for it. So everything religion is trying but failing to accomplish, God will give us as a gift. That's grace. Everything that we've tried to accomplish on our own, God wants to give it to us as a gift. John chapter 1 is a beautiful example of that. It's, there's so much in the teaching section. I want to encourage you, look at the notes this week. Jesus brings grace, grace and truth, not law, John 1. Jesus, not the sacrificial system, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in John chapter 1. Jesus replaces the temple systems with himself in Mark chapter 10 in John chapter 2. And Jesus becomes our way to God, not the system of salvation, but it's our way. The parables, the parable of the gracious landowner, the parable of the prodigal son, and then Mark 12, the parable of the judgment of religion. So much of that is in here. Jesus forgives sins apart from religious practice, Matthew 9, Luke 7. So let me come back to one more quote from Bruxy here, and I think this is really important. Jesus believes our world needs less legalistic religion and more wedding wine. All right? That doesn't mean I want you guys to get drunk on wine, okay? But there is a mental shift between me giving myself to religious practice and me realizing that if I truly experience Jesus, it's going to be like discovering a glass of wine, not discovering a heavy to-do list. He goes on to say, religion is redundant. The show is over. God has left the building. Through Jesus, God is doing an end run around religious systems to be with us and for us. Now all spiritual activity is something we do, not for salvation, but for celebration. So let me just give you a practical example of this, okay? Um, in the room, we have offering boxes. In the old religious systems, you would go to that because you thought it participated in your salvation. So people came prepared to offer a dove, a lamb, financial gifts. We go and leave an offering, most of us online, like the spiritual practice of setting up auto pay. <laughs> um, but um, we have considered giving, but it's not an obligation of religious practice. And if it feels that way, you don't understand it. It's celebration. We, Andrew and Sarah, this week practiced and prepared songs, not for our salvation, but as celebration of our salvation. So a lot of churches have religious practice of music and singing. This is not religion. This is us saying there's a celebration of what Jesus said is true. Um, if our Lord's table cups weren't on back order, we would actually be taking the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes, which we're not going to be able to do this morning because so many people have had to switch their Lord's table practices. There's now a shortage, all right? So we've got to figure something out. But we don't come to the table for salvation. We come to the table for for celebration. All right, thank you, Lana. All right, we come to the table not for salvation, but for celebration. So you come to church, it's not for religious practice to so I can be good or I can be saved, but we're coming in here because the good news is that Jesus has done it. 
We've received his grace. We've received his love. And so I don't have to do anything out of ritual. I come because I have a chance to celebrate what is true and what is right and what is noble and what is just, as um, Paul told the church in Philippi. So Jesus has come to make it possible for us to live up to our full potential. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you felt like, man, that was one of my best moments. Some of, if you've ever been around a guy on a football Sunday, he will be happy to tell you about his best football moment, right? When he was the best player on the field or whatever sport it is, guys tell those stories even into their 40s and 50s. I'm like, wait a minute, didn't you do that when you were 16? (laughs) You know, but hey, it was such a moment of fulfillment, right? But you and I know when we're the best versions of the humans that we are. And when you study Jesus's teachings, you begin to realize that he wants you to be the best version of you. He doesn't want there to be any part of you that isn't the best of you. That's grace. That's love, knowing that we can't do it on our own. But here's the thing. Let me come back to Matthew 13. Giving up everything is what we need to do in order to get more. So Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. He went and bought the field. Let me point out two things, observations of this passage, and then I'm going to close, all right? Two observations. Number one, he made one decision. He made one decision that he was going to possess that treasure. And then... Let me ask a question. How long would it have taken him to sell everything he had? I think we should consider this. Because if we're going to walk in the love of God, we're going to walk in the forgiveness of God, we're going to be in the kingdom of God, and we're going to experience the grace of God, I think you and I need to learn how long the process may take. And how long many of us that we are still in process of fully possessing that field. But this particular man, when he saw the treasure, is like, that is the, out of joy, I want that. And then he set into motion everything he needed to do so that he could possess that treasure because he knew he could afford the decision of buying the field. And he knew if he did that, he was gonna get something back that he couldn't afford. Let me just say this to you in here today. If you don't believe or if you're watching online and you don't believe in Jesus, I promise you, if you take the steps towards him, you're going to realize that it is more precious than anything you could ever imagine. And for those of you that have made that decision and your faith has grown stale, let me just ask you to go back and consider what have you gone back and repurchased? What did you know you should give up, but now you're like, ah, I want to go back to that? Because the people in Baltimore that are, we are touching on a regular basis are making their decision about God's great love by watching us and reading the Bible. Two great ways of knowing Jesus. But we need to make sure that we haven't lost sight of this great treasure of Jesus. And when you sell all out for him with joy, you experience life to its fullest. 
And how many of us are struggling right now because life doesn't sound so full? It doesn't feel full. It, does, it feels heavy. But I promise you, when Jesus is the treasure in our life, there is going to be joy beyond our wildest imagination. Let me pray together with you. Father, would you have your spirit this week nag us until we actually go and look up scriptures about Jesus' teaching? We all need motivated. Um, Father, for those that don't believe, Lord, would you um, help them to see the miraculous teachings of Jesus, the miracle of his teachings. And Father, for those of us that have been walking in faith, would, would we not lose sight of how worth it it is to give it all up to possess Jesus? So Lord, would you continue to speak to us? Because I know that we all need that miracle touch of you today. And for those of you that don't believe, I just want to say, if you want to take steps towards Jesus, I would just ask you today to just form a short prayer towards Christ and just say, Jesus, um, I want to know you as a treasure. Would you help me to walk with you so I can experience this wonderful grace? And if you prayed that, we want to help you to see. So would you let us know whether online or in person, we want to walk with you in that. So Lord, we thank you. Thanks for this time. In Jesus we pray, amen, amen. Guys, we normally take some time to ask some questions that I know we're getting super late, so I'm just gonna maybe leave it open for two. Um, but we're getting back some of our Lord's Supper time because I, our shipment is now saying it won't be here till October 1st. And uh, when I ordered it, it said September 15th. <laughs> so with that, um, questions on today's teaching um, that I could answer for you. And if you love me, you'll ask your question even if you feel like you're going to stump me because it'd probably be good for all of us. All right. Okay. So with that... Um, let me share two things. One is, Andre, did you talk about growth communities at the beginning? All right. Well, while you're coming, I also want to remind you guys that are, have been with us for a while that we renew our covenants in the month of September. So the last Sunday of this month, we're not only going to be having a baby dedication, we are also going to be renewing our covenants. And I'm going to talk more intently about it next week, but you can go into the More tab in the app and you can look at the covenant agreement that we make. It's like, it's our church's version of membership, but we don't use that because Jesus talked about leaving a new covenant and we want to walk in that new covenant. But this is a way for us to say, if this is your church, if this is the body that you want to be identified with, that's the best way for us knowing that you want to be all in. And then we can have the right types of conversations with each other to truly pursue Christ. And so you can do that online. We will have some paper copies here next week but we are trying to go paperless as much as possible right now, especially during this pandemic. And so you can find that in the app under the More tab. Andre. Thank you, Pastor Ellis. So you heard me earlier talk about growth communities. And so 
there are a few announcements about growth communities. We are in the stage of just restructuring and putting some things in together. And so we have some of our growth community leaders physically present. Ellen, can you raise your hand? Ellen in the back is our growth community leader for our Charles Village group. Um, so while we have everything geographically centered, if you are just interested in just joining our, our humble group, we are, we'll be so glad to have you. Lana, can you please raise your hand? Lana is our women's group Bible study coordinator. She has done a wonderful job with leading women. And so for our ladies present, please feel free to reach out to Lana, see Lana after service. Um, our other group leaders are not here, but Bryant, can you raise your hands, good sir? Bryant is with our, we're going to call it our Metro, Baltimore Metro group for right now. Um, but they are actually in, they are doing some volunteer work at Helping Out Mission. And so if you are interested in volunteering with our group on Thursdays, please go see Bryant. Um, cool gentleman in the peach top that I want to be like when I grow up. And... They meet on Thursdays at 4.30 in front of the gallery gate. So downstairs, the main building, and then they will walk to helping out um, missions. So again, if you would like to volunteer with our that group, please see Bryant for more information, and he will make sure that he and our leaders, Mark and Abby, get that information. So again... That we are while we are restructuring, we are still active and we are still encouraging relationships. And so, if you have any questions about our communities, please see one of our leaders or see me. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. We normally uh, do a closing benediction, and I am looking forward to the day that we can be more physically expressive. If you were here for our habits habitus series over the summer, the early church had a physical touch expectation. There were seven times in scripture that we can find that we were encouraged to take the Lord's table, but there are also seven encouragements to the church to give each other a holy kiss. So there is something about us experiencing faith in our physical display, but we are very limited in our physical touch. So the only way we're going to be physical today is if you'll just stand. And I would love for you to just extend a hand towards somebody near you. Um, uh, there's no other way that can be low. I'm kind of halfway because I know I'm sweating, so I'm not fully extending right now. Um, but here, here's our benediction. As we go from here today, may we realize that Jesus is the treasure worth giving everything up for. As we go from here today, may we realize that Jesus is the treasure worth giving everything up for. And may God's grace and peace be with you. All right, thank you guys. We'll see you next week if not during the week. <laughs>